Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Okay, we are here at Cayoba Farms in Antigua, Guatemala, and we're here with the owner and operator of this place, uh, Alex Kronick. Alex, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you very much, Francisco. Uh, it's nice to be here. Yeah, well, it's nice for me to be here on your property. Uh, so Cayoba Farms is such a unique place. I first came here in April um, with my two friends, Kyle and Rosemary. Uh, Rosemary's f- from here in Guatemala, and Kyle is someone I had actually visited two and a half years ago, my first trip to Guatemala. He doesn't live here now, but he was living here for nine months at the time. He's from the U.S. But then in May, I, I brought my friend Bob Rubin, uh, who lives in South Florida, uh, back here. We were having an enjoyable lunch. We had just ordered, and all of a sudden, um, somebody on the staff came over to say hello to us, ask us how everything was, and seemed a little more interested. And uh, I thought, I said, are you are, do you own this place or something? And you said, yes. And anyway, it was you. It was Alex Kronick. So we had a really nice, uh, I feel like 15 minute conversation with you at the time uh, before our food even came. So it was really nice uh, for Bob and I to get a, get a chance to meet you. And uh, uh, one thing I've observed here many times since and, and including on that day was uh, how you as the owner and operator are fully involved in every part of the business and including in welcoming, you know, random customers uh, to your to your place. So thanks for welcoming us here back in May. Yeah, thanks, Francisco. That's, you know, part of my job and what I like to do. And, you know, I go make sure everything's okay. And I uh, was just checking on you guys. And one thing led to the next. Well, that's great. Well, um, Alex, so this is such a unique place. And so it was really neat that when we got to meet you, to be able to start asking you some questions about it because... Um, if anybody has, I don't know, probably most people listening to this haven't been here, but it's it seems huge, right? What's great is it's a beautiful setting. You, you're sitting basically in a garden, uh, eating at these different benches and trees everywhere and plants. And there's a, there's a nursery out back. There's a farm out back. Um, you get to walk around either before or after your meal and see it. You also have a, a food store here, uh, a lot of organic foods and things like that. Uh, but a fully operational restaurant, and uh, so so it's it's really kind of a neat place. And so when I was first brought here, I thought well, this is such a unique place. I want to come back, bring different friends back, and that's what we did. Um, but you started this place way back in May of 2004. Tell us, uh, was this your family's land? And uh, tell us a little bit more about what what transpired from that point on, and how you how you had the idea to start this place. Yeah, uh, 2004, um, right before that, uh, during Christmas, that 2003, I uh, had been down here and uh, land was being used to grow roses, a little bit of roses, but mostly coffee, abandoned coffee, and they were growing roses for a restaurant in town uh, for dec- decorating the tables. and. Um, yeah, f- since we had the head, head uh, the door open for that restaurant, we decided to start pushing lettuces. Uh, I had an idea about expanding in the lettuce business and more than lettuce, it was just exotic items that you could not find in Guatemala. There, there seems to be like a, a trend of restaurants opening a lot 
it seems like a lot of people were going to study abroad uh, for culinary arts and uh, they were learning with all these um, ingredients uh, Europe, States, Mexico, and they were coming back to Guatemala, whether to open restaurants or to work for someone else, but having to bump into not finding the ingredients they were used to working with or learnt with, and just uh, the stuff that was locally being uh, grown. Um, and so I kind of became the person, I had an idea of growing like exotic items you couldn't find here, and I kind of became like the the farmer of exotic items, not necessarily organic. In that moment, 2004, it wasn't really that popular. So it was more like growing exotic items. And so we started with romaine lettuce. There was really no romaine in Guatemala. No seed company selling romaine, no, no nothing like that. And that's really how it got going. You know, I said, okay, well, if I'm going to start growing romaine lettuce, well, I got to first produce my own seed. And since we're going to produce my own seed, I might as well produce my own fertilizer and produce all pretty much everything and so I was like it, it's it, instead of organic it started more kind of like a sustainable you know how do I close the circle how do I not rely on other sources because it, it, if I'm going to be growing exotic items that are not locally accessible I need to uh, really depend on myself and not on on uh, on, on what's available yeah, and I remember, uh, if I, uh, refresh my memory here a little bit, and for our audience, uh, the idea with the romaine lettuce, where did that come from? Uh, from a Caesar salad? Yeah. Is that the one? I don't know. I, th I feel like you told me um, that you were you were eating at some restaurant, maybe a friend owned or something, and you were like, this isn't the right lettuce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it basically, yeah, you know, we I ordered a Caesar salad, and uh, Caesar salad came with iceberg lettuce, and... You know, I was like, kind of, shouldn't be. It shouldn't be romaine. It should, it, and a Caesar salad should be romaine. Um, and it was a pretty expensive salad, and so I was like, you can't be serving a, a Caesar with with iceberg, and so that's how I really realized there was no romaine in Guatemala. You know, I was like, there's went looking for other restaurants to see if they had romaine and went to the grocery stores and no one had romaine then I looked in the seed companies and no seed company was selling romaine seeds so I, I figured no one was growing romaine in Guatemala and so that's when I said okay I'm going to grow romaine for this restaurant and for the other restaurants that need it and um, but before anything I had to start producing my own seed because there was no one to sell me seeds so that's where the whole sustainable kind of concept came not necessarily organic but sustainable and with sustainable kind of organic comes following along but that wasn't really marketed towards later down the road can you explain the difference what, what is that uh, what is it what are the differences between sustainable and organic uh, is that it's yeah it's completely different sustainable is just means that you you know you can be chemically you can be a non-organic product or non-organic business and still be sustainable i mean uh are you producing your own electricity uh, what i mean sustainable is how little do you depend on sources that are not from your business you know how sustainable is a country how sustainable is a school how sustainable is a business how sustainable is your household? Uh, sustainability is a complete different word than organic. Organic, to me, is a word that's been very prostituted. Like, most people don't even know what organic means. But, you know, or, to me, organic really only means organic fertilizer and organic sprays. And there you go, you got an organic product. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing truly organic agriculture, if you call it that way. 
I mean, you can. So organic is more like, uh, is this the right way to say it? Sort of like just like a hundred percent natural, kind of thing. Is that would that be the right way to say it? Yeah, sort of. I mean, it just depends what you're relying to. I mean, I usually tell my, I do tours around the farm, and and what I try to get people to really understand is that there is conventional products. There's organic products that come from conventional agriculture. And then there's something that comes from a more sustainable, organic, all-around, biodiverse, you know, method, which is more than just an organic product. It's, 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 you could call it almost a lifestyle. It's a method. And that's what we practice here. 99% of the organic products that have USDA certification, I would think, are more conventional farming with organic certification, meaning, just to give you an example, you could grow acres and acres and acres and acres of broccoli. There could have been a forest there, and you could have probably clear-cut the whole forest, planted or broccoli, and... Uh, spray it with organic pesticides and organic fertilizer and you get an organic broccoli is that really an organic method of farming is that really organic agriculture my my in my eyes it isn't that's just a conventional method of agriculture producing an organic product what i talk about is more like okay is your business sustainable or is it within your goals to be as sustainable as possible uh, how low impact to the environment are you as a business? I mean, you could be organic, producing organic broccolis, but still be very high impact to the environment. Is your well taking all the water from the community? You know, are you outsourcing everything from, you know, you're in Guatemala, it could be from the States, from Mexico, from, uh, from Europe, it could be China, it could be India, it could be South America. I mean, if, if nothing's coming from, what, how big's your foot, your footprint, your carbon footprint? Or are you trying to source everything locally or even producing it, manufacturing yourself? So how biodiverse are you? I mean, if you're just growing broccoli, nature will never mimic broccoli in acres, in 100 acres, you know. So are you just monocropping? So where's the biodiversity in that? Uh, are you community-oriented as a business or are you not community-oriented? Is your business educational or is it not educational? So all that plus using organic fertilizers and organic sprays whether you're, or not using anything just letting it go to nature's will that to me is more of an organic method of agriculture and what, however you want to call it some people call it permaculture some people call it regenerative farming some people may call it no tilling some people may call it edible landscapes food foresting silver pasturing i mean there's many methods of organic agriculture as long as you kind of keep those kind of concepts true which is you know are you trying to be as sustainable as possible are you trying to be leave as least of a footprint possible to the environment are you trying to be as biodiverse as possible are you trying to be community oriented are you trying to be educational while using organic fertilizer organic sprays or are you just into the money of organic product yeah and you know manufacturing a broccoli with fertilizer and organic product but you know your foot your 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 sustainability not zero everything's outsourced your biodiversity is nip you know you just got a hybrid broccoli that you're growing organically um your your um carbon footprint's enormous because everything is 
is outsourced you're not you know are you community oriented no you got your doors closed you're not letting anybody any anybody in you're not you don't participate in any farmers market you're you just sell to a big corporation yeah and well so you're you're producing everything here that you're using for your restaurant um let's uh let's get a not little, everything not, not everything, everything. No, what, no, what, no. tell me what's what's going on here with the restaurant i mean the idea is to produce everything but a lot of people come with a concept thinking that we produce everything but okay. it's not we produce about anywhere between 60 and 70 percent for the restaurant that's still a lot. yeah that's quite a yeah. bit <laughs> but a lot of people say oh 100 percent of everything is, is done here and i just want to get that clear that it isn't yeah. you know because i mean there's olive oil there's salt there's flour there's a lot of stuff we yeah. don't produce but whatever we don't produce we really try to find a local source whether it's organic or not at least keep it local yeah. um and if it's possible artisanal from like a small business and if and um and eventually, if if we can do it ourselves, well, that's a, 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 the next step. But um, but that's uh, and then if we can't, obviously, olive oil. You know, there's no olives in Guatemala, so we do outsource a few things. But we really, when it's that case, we do try to go organic. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so Alex, let's go back a little bit. So um, when you first came up to that table that day back in May, uh, when when Bob and I were visiting here, after talking to you for a few minutes, and I know a lot of people here. Uh, there's still a lot of you know native people here that uh that know english but your english seemed uh, exceptionally uh good and i said where are you from so uh tell us a little bit i know you were born and raised here in guatemala guatemala but tell us a little bit uh, more about your family's background and and your and your your uh, background here yeah so yeah born and raised in guatemala um my mom's guatemalan my dad's from the states he came down here maybe 42 years ago don't know the exact story, but I mean, he did meet my mom down here, never left, and um, and voila, here I am. And then, uh, not too much later, when I was like around 13 years old, I ended up moving to the States. Living Where you at? I, I moved to Colorado. Colorado? Uh, and then... When you were 13? Uh, yeah, about 13, I wanted yeah. to become like a sophomore in high school. Sophomore in high school, yeah. Yeah, so I don't you know, 13 and a half. Uh, and then I did all all high school in Colorado, and then I I was a ski bum for a while there, and then I wanted to keep going. To, I, I wanted to keep being a ski bum, so then I moved to Tahoe in California. Was there for a little over four years. Was that sort of college age? Yeah, college yeah. age, and then did you uh, go to college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I got a in the states or yeah, I have a degree in science and entrepreneurship. Oh wow! You know, so uh, I got a also do, science and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Are those? Is that like one major or two? It's a major. It's a. It's the, basically the science at? of entrepreneurship. It's not uh, entrepreneurship. Okay. It's like the the science of entrepreneurship. Like okay. it's 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 you learn business, but you also learn a lot of creativity part about business and why entrepreneurship. Where did, you know? where was that degree from? That's a, a little college in uh, Lake Tahoe called Sierra Nevada College. Man, that'd be a great place to go to college, huh, Lake Tahoe? Yeah. They were like <laughs> they were they were like very they were like when it came down to environmental science and and that and that career of science and entrepreneurship, they were like top tier. I mean, so let me just ask you something since you just mentioned Lake Tahoe. We there's Lake Atitlan here in Guatemala. Some might call it the most beautiful lake in the world, but Lake Tahoe, some call that the most beautiful lake, and also I've heard Lake Como, which I've never been to. Never been to either of those, just Lake Atitlan. Uh, can you compare Tahoe and Atitlan? Uh, yeah, I mean, they got a lot of similar things, but, uh, you know, they're both very deep lakes. I think that's what makes them very beautiful, is that they're not, they're not 
large, large lakes, but they're very deep. I think both of them are within the top four or five deepest lakes in the world. And so that gives it a very special thing. But uh, I guess the communities around it is what really what makes it the nice, nice as well. Yeah, here in Guatemala, Lake Atitlan. Um, I would say Lake Atitlan is it would be nicer. Yeah. I'd, I'd by far if it wasn't as contaminated. It's contaminated. Yeah, it is. And so I right now I would vote Lake Tahoe nicer, just because it's not contaminated. Okay. But. I, I would say because of culture reasons and because of the weather and because of many other things, I would say Lake Atitlan could take its place. But since it's polluted, you don't feel it as comfortable about it. Yeah. Uh, one of my brothers has been to both Lake Como and Lake Tahoe, and he said he'd give the edge to Tahoe. He's never been to Lake Atitlan. We'll have to get him down here soon. Uh, but he said, yeah, what's nice about Lake Tahoe is uh, it also has some different seasons as well. So you can go there and ski, but you can enjoy it in the summer, too. Yeah. So, but, uh, okay, back to Guatemala. So, uh, so you, well, you were in Colorado for school. You said you were a ski bum. Uh, what happened after, uh, after the slopes, after you were kind of done with the slopes for a while? Yeah, I sold my car and came and started the farm. Started the farm. What gave you? The, I mean, what gave you the idea? Your, did your family own this land here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a lot of incentives why to come back. I had been living in the states for a while. If I, it's easier to open up a business here in Guatemala. I mean, you don't need as much money. It's got it, everything in what life. What about the regulatory environment is compared to the states? Is it well, way less regular. Uh, way regular. less regulations. Yeah. Way less expensive. Less capital needed to start a business yeah. in Guatemala. Yeah. But, you know, everything in life does that, has does that, pros and cons. And is, that, is that different for someone who's got Guatemalan, Guatemalan citizenship compared to someone maybe outside Guatemala? No, I mean, it's, it, Guatemala is a very friendly for, uh, for foreigners. You know, there's some countries that aren't friendly for foreigner investment. Guatemala is, is like a Costa Rica. We're very friendly. We want your money. You know, they, 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 it's very easy to come by land. It's very easy to come here. That's why there's a lot of expats. Um, it's very, it's very easy to open up a business. There's a few things where you might need to, you know, either live here for a certain amount of time or do some paperwork, extra little paperwork, or get a Guatemalan business partner. But it's very friendly. Yeah, it's for, very for friendly. For you, you found it very. Uh, you were like, hey, it's going to be easier to open this business in Guatemala. Well, there's a lot of ideas that still haven't happened here and that uh, already exist in Europe, in the States and in other nations. And then you can bring them here and, you know, start small. And it's, you know, it's unique. It's new. It's uh, uh, Guatemala seems to be a very entrepreneurial kind of culture. You know, it seems like like Guatemala City, Antigua. So it's very friendly for opening up your business and the regulatory and the expensiveness and everything is way uh, malpractice things, you know, insurances and all that. It's, so it just makes it easier to John, open up. John a Morgan hasn't hit uh, Guatemala yet. <laughs> trial lawyers, <laughs> but at least not to the same degree. That, that has some pros and cons, I'm sure. But uh, but um, okay. So uh, so, so I, one thing I was going to ask you, if we want to back up a little bit, because uh, I didn't realize you had done that so quickly uh, with the farm. But um, uh, what I always like, you know, since this is a podcast. Uh, about a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people listening that are interested in entrepreneurship. What was your first job in life? Could be as a kid or something you did. Uh, and what did you learn uh, from that experience? Hmm. I would say stacking wood was my first job. That was it, here in Guatemala? It was here in Guatemala. It was a. I'd come back from my. I was like 13 years old. It was my first summer back from the States, 
and uh, I didn't have much to do here, so I went and worked for for a family guy. This was, you were in high school. Still? Yeah, I was like a, yeah. a, a sophomore in high school. Yeah. I was about a so yeah. I was like a, a sophomore in high school. I was I was transitioning from being a sophomore to a junior, and so I went to work at a at a um, at a wood mill. And you know they have these huge kilns where they dry wood, and so I was stacking wood for that uh, forklifts could pick up the wood and take it into the kilns and dry them. So I was under the sun, and it was just a half day. I wasn't working full days. I was doing. I still wanted a little bit of summertime to myself, but it was Monday through Saturday. So it was six oh. day. It was a six day week. Yeah. Half a day from uh, eight to twelve, four hours. Um, and I had a buddy of mine who 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 do the same who was with me, and uh, and we're at 13 and a half, and we had more. He had a motorcycle, and so we'd go in our in our little moped to work, and stack wood, and then end up uh, end at noon, go eat lunch somewhere, and then you know go hang out and just enjoy summer. Nice. You know. That so what did you learn the most from that experience? A little bit of discipline, you know, like I, you know, like being, you had to be work hours, eight to 12, uh, was like the lowest position of the, of the company that you could get probably like, even though you don't make less money, it was like looked upon as like the lowest, you know, least amount of education, least amount of skill that you needed to, to do it. Um, but you know, we did it with we were happy we did it with pride everybody kind of was like uh kind of accepted us doing that and it was it was it was good um also maybe you learn process you know there's there's a process to it it's not just like oh let's do whatever you know you, there's there you got to follow rules or else you don't do it right and you can screw it up yeah so i mean you start learning basics yeah that's so, good so, so um so back to Kaioba Farms, uh, what first uh, stimulated your interest in agriculture and in, in uh, restaurants in terms of uh, owning one? Yeah, well, you know, um, had a lot of friends growing pot in the States. Not, you know, and then... Uh, well, you were in Colorado. Yeah, and, and California, <laughs> Northern California. In California. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, so, yeah, they were, you know, we were, I was kind of with some friends... You know, so people growing pot around me. Uh, so that was kind of a, a green thumb right there from the start. But also my family was always has kind of always been involved in, in a little bit of gardening and agriculture and uh, and stuff. And therefore, I think it's it's there. My mom's always giving me seeds. She's always taking care of her garden, even though I don't know half the seeds she gives me don't even work. But <laughs> she's always collecting stuff for me. Yeah. Still to this day? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, ha and when did that start? When did she start doing that? When she saw that I had a passion for that, she started collecting seeds for me. But prior to me even having a passion for it, she was always collecting seeds for her garden. So Nice. Um, so how did you get... I mean, you talked about your major in the States being the science of entrepreneurship. Uh, how did you get in educated in a sense? I mean, was it from the family... Uh, or other in terms of a growing agriculture, raising it, and and actually running a business with a restaurant, how did, how did that education process? Um, let's see if I understand you correctly on that one, but basically uh, there was a lot of um, 
you had to pitch a lot of business ideas to venture capitalists and angel investors within the area. That was kind of part of the whole thing, you know. There, so there's, they, 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 the school really got you motivated on working on a one-page business plan, getting ideas, being on creative thinking and uh, startups and this. And so they were really pushing that type of stuff. So what would you start this? And then this you, was this was out of Lake Tahoe. Yeah, yeah, and and, and and that's not too far from Silicon Valley. No, right? it isn't. So, no, it yeah. isn't. Not five hours, four yeah. hours, um, and basically, yeah, just have to find these these these. Uh, Two, three times a year you'd have to have these meetings and whichever venture capitalist or anybody wanted to come show up and they you know you'd pitch your 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 ideas and and stuff and kind of like a shark tank you know yeah. and a lot of people would get uh funded you know and and uh i had a lot of ideas but i needed to get patents going on stuff you know so there was a lot of stuff like that going on and and uh, sure enough, there were some people who liked my idea about the farm thing, but they didn't want to invest in Guatemala and third world country out here in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But um, that's when I said, okay, I'm going to sell my car, come down here, and with that money I started. But they, they would, that the school was very uh, focused on, on getting you thinking that way and how to use other, if you didn't have the money, how would you use someone else's money and make sure that you come out on top always. You know, not losing because there's no everybody's got to make everybody's got to win. Obviously, the yeah. guy's going to give you the money's got to win. But how do you come up with these ideas where and it's not only the idea is how do you set up the business where you can then either buy them out or you're always kind of the, the decision maker. Or, uh, and so they're not really there and, and the interest or whatever you're feeding them is, is, is a byproduct of your of your uh, of your um, earnings and the. the the profit of your business, you know. So. Yeah. So, uh, so we're here in uh, in beautiful Antigua. I mean, I mean, the scene here is is beautiful. We got some mountains behind us. We got a beautiful farm here. If you're in Antigua, Guatemala, um, you know, it's a small city center in a sense compared to most places, but it's really beautiful and historic. A lot of ruins. Um, I typically, Alex, when I come here, uh, just walk, uh, which most people don't do because it's about a 20 or 25 minute walk from the city center. No, it's not. Right? It's a 10 minute it? Ten walk. Minutes? Well, it depends where you are. Maybe if I'm staying on the north side of the city. Yeah, north side maybe. But I, I, it's 10 minute walk from yeah. the city center. Yeah. yeah. So 10 minute walk from the city center. And uh, But a lot of people just take like a tuk-tuk or people are lazy. A, a Uber or something. People right? are lazy. <laughs> yeah. But I love walking down here because I just love walking through Antigua. And uh, so it's really nice. But it, but it's not. But I, what I'm trying to say is if you're in Antigua, if you're visiting Antigua, it's not like you're going to walk past it by chance because you got to like know where you're kind of going um, since it's kind of uh, right on the edge of the Yeah, we're, of the we're off the center. beaten path. That's yeah. what I like to call it. Yeah. We're not like, uh, hey, what's this? Oh, a a farm. Let's go in. You know, we're not like that. We everybody who comes usually found us online, word of mouth, something like that. It's it's it's. So tell me a little bit about the evolution of the place in terms of like, wh what were you like? You talked about the romaine lettuce you started with, right, and other things. Uh, how did you grow the farm? How long was was it a farm? How many of those acres did you cultivate? What do you what exactly are you growing here today? And also, when did the restaurant itself start? Yeah, so we're talking about 18 years ago. So I started growing produce, exotic produce, for local restaurants since restaurants were starting to pop all over Antigua like flies. Yeah. And uh, so we started growing, started out with romaine, then all of a sudden I had an Italian restaurant, guy wanted arugula, so I started growing arugula, then he said he wanted Italian basil for pesto. Uh, then you wanted radicchio, and then they wanted kale, and then they wanted the special parsleys, and and so and so as restaurants started um, 
requesting items that they could not find locally. That's how I became uh, growing these produce. And it was always me trying to find a local seed supplier who didn't exist. So I always had to, part of my business was producing my own seeds. To this date, I'd say 50% of my farming is dedicated to seed production. Wow. 95% of everything we plant is our own seed, comes from our own seed bank. 100% of our fertilizer is from the farm. 50% 50, 50 of anything we spray is made in the farm. 50% uh, we buy outsource it, but it's certified organic. But we're, we're trying to close that circle as much as possible. So within our goals is to be 100% sustainable. How, you know, we'd have to produce 100% of our energy, 100% of our seeds, 100%. And, and that's within our goals. It's, we're not there yet, but. Yeah, but um, that's, uh, that definitely shows a lot of sustainability happening right here when you're able to, like, produce and just keep reproducing from what you're growing in, in the seeds. Well, look at what's happening now with in inflation and the transportation industry and all this. I mean, just a, a simple example, saran wrap. Chef's going nuts to me yesterday. He's like, <laughs> I'm like, don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do. Don't kill yourself about it. He's like, saran wrap's gone like 50% up in price. I'm like, let's get rid of the saran wrap. Let's use these other things. I mean, we really try not to use saran wrap, but I mean, there's certain things within a restaurant where we do use it. And so we're trying to find all, always uh, an alternative. But he's going crazy about it because it's getting more expensive. So and then he was talking also about olive oil. He's like, oh, olive oil went up uh, $10 a gallon. You know, I'm like, and so he's going nuts. But I'm like, well, it's going up for everybody. It's not only us, you know. It's like right. it's going up for everybody. There's not much you can do about it. Don't kill yourself about it. And he, but he's stressing himself really bad. And it's all because of transport. So if we were producing our own, let's say, macadamia oil or sunflower oil or some of it, and we, would, we wouldn't depend on this, you know. So we depend on, 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 on things that are out of our control. And therefore, that leads us to be less sustainable. Uh, and it's starting to happen now and you can start to totally see it. as gas prices go up as there's less containers less ships to transport stuff This is bound to happen and it's only gonna happen more and more and more and therefore You know, how do you become more sustainable? Yeah, and I know in the US uh, at the time we're recording this uh, There's lines of ships lined up because the ports haven't been open as much with COVID and things like that and There's all sorts of other reasons. I'm sure uh, but yeah, it just showed that shows as well that in the U.S., how dependent uh, even you know the wealthiest country in the world is on all sorts of all sorts of other places. Probably a lot coming from China and other places like that. Um, yeah, there's they say there's no electrodomestics for six months or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> stuff like so so we'll ha we'll have to see what happens here. But um, so you mentioned so obviously uh, there's a lot that is sourced right here in house at your restaurant. But you also grow and source for other restaurants and hotels. Yeah, so going back to the question you were yeah. telling me. So basically, I started growing produce, exotic items to local restaurants. And uh, it wasn't necessarily as organic. 2004 wasn't really promoted as organic. It was more exotic. But it, since I needed to be sustainable, we kind of naturally were organic because mm. we were following that method. And then as uh, monkey see, monkey do in Guatemala and uh, probably everywhere else in the world, as they st I, I got to a point where I had about 800 restaurants I was selling produce to. And wow. big guys, you know, uh, Hyatt Hotel, Radisson, Intercontinental. I mean, there was big hotels. So th those are, are those all in Guatemala City? Yeah, Guatemala City. I was selling to big, big, big groups of people, you know, and who don't really care about what I was doing. It was just because I had an exotic item that they could not find anywhere else. And... 
you know, as people started seeing, monk, you know, that I had a niche market, okay, well, bigger companies and people with a lot of money backing them up started getting involved in this. And before you know it, there was romaine in the in the market and there was arugula and there was not maybe not everything I grow, but maybe top four or five products that I grew the most because that was the most required. They, people started growing it. And sure enough, not doing it organically, not doing it in a sustainable way, doing it in a more monocrop. And therefore... I, they were going to the same clients and offering them at half price and I and my clients would stick with me but they were like can you keep the same price and I know my numbers and I said no I can't I, I, I really can't you know and so I started losing my restaurants they started dropping like flies and I was like okay so I had to you know adjust my business model and so at 2008 so four years into it I started kind of losing all these restaurants dropping like flies and so I was like, well, who cares about sustainability? Who cares more about organic? Who? And so I, was, I started looking into families, you know, like the private sector. And I was like, well, not necessarily the private sector, but the because the, private sector could be a business. But I'm talking about more like the, the, the individual families, families of four, five, six people who go to school um, who are willing to pay a little bit extra because they know where it's coming from. They know that it's organic. They know it's healthier. I mean, 2004... Whole Foods didn't exist, so organic wasn't really a big thing. Trader Joe's kind of existed, but not like the way it is now. And so 2008 started popping. It was starting to hit in the States as organic this, organic that. So I'm kind of at, at their level in terms of education when I'm looking at news and following on these kind of... So I started promoting myself as organic, more local, sustainable, 2008. So I started going more towards like a CSA, which is community-supported agriculture type thing. But there was no really other people I was working with. So I was doing these like CSA baskets, delivering to homes to... Started with my store around 2010, so people could come here and buy the produce and then as that as I start opening up my store I start looking for other farmers other artisanal people other local people who might be producing cheeses bread eggs meat stuff that I might not be producing and therefore I start creating this little kind of niche grocery store high-end organic local artisanal grocery store and uh, I was pretty much one of the first to have that and now again now there's a lot of little stores like that and that's you know. the store you have here on site yeah and yeah by the way i've bought some good little chocolates and uh things for little gifts for people and people love it they're like where'd you get this stuff it's good yeah we try to have very unique stuff we try to work with very artisanal people who might only have one or two customers you know and uh, and so we have very unique stuff you probably won't find anywhere else Plus a lot of new stuff that we are constantly producing. And so that was the next step. And then as more people started opening up little stores and this type of stuff, well, then I said, okay, after working with 13 years with restaurants, 14 years with restaurants, I said, I got to open up my own restaurant. So that, that was the, that's been like the latest part of my business. When did the restaurant open? open? About four years ago. Okay. Just but, four years ago. Yeah. But one a whole year closed because of COVID. That's right. Yeah. So we were closed all so 2020. The, the restaurant's in a beautiful setting, uh, lots of trees. Like I said, it feels like you're in a garden. So in some places, you feel like you got your own little private spot because of the way you have it structured here. Uh, you also, some days I've been here, particularly on the weekends, and you have live music, uh, and it's just really just a beautiful setting. Tell me, um, I've, I've, I've seen, I haven't seen them physically here. I see some kids over here playing on a playground that you have set up. Uh, so it's a great place to bring some kids to. But uh, I've seen that you've also have uh, yoga classes go on here. Tell, tell me about all the different activities that people can come to Cuyahoga Farms for. 
Yeah, so again, like these are the six principles that I believe in when it comes down to the method of agriculture that I chose in which any type of business in the agricultural kind of organic agriculture, whether it's whatever method you choose, because there's many methods, should follow. And one is the sustainability thing I was talking to you about. The next one is uh, your footprint in the environment, you know, uh, your, your carbon footprint. The third one would be how the biodiversity behind it. But then the fourth one comes, starts leading towards community. And so I open up my doors to the community for people to come for the restaurant, for the tours, for, for um, all sorts of um, things. And one of them is yoga, dancing, capoeira, hit, circus performancing. Plus we have all sorts of theater and shows and, and all sorts of stuff. So we're, the idea is to open up, it's a community space. So we're opening it up. If someone wants to rent the space to do like a, a talk, like what we're doing or a workshop, well, this is available to them. And so, I think and so. I think what you're going to need next here, Alex, uh, is a little lodge or something, you know, where people can come stay here. They can get a workout in. They can do yoga. They can eat. They can whatever. Uh, I know you've got some a project thirty miles up the road, but uh, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So about twelve years ago, so we've been in we've been here for about. Uh, 18 years and so about 12 years ago 11 years ago I one thing I noticed was I was starting to run out of land and in Antigua it's impossible to to find more land the prices are ridiculous so we had to go a little farther out and I you know I knew I wanted to work on a different method of agriculture and it was more you know uh, with agroforestry and so protecting forests as there's a big you know people here cut forests like none other and part of it's because people cook with firewood others because they're not educated and just uh, slash and burn and then plant corn or, or and the other ones a lot of cattle and a lot of cattle and so I wanted to protect forests and also uh, plant trees and so I got it I needed more land for that and so we got into that concept and uh, yeah so it's about half an hour away 40 minutes depending what way you go or if you hit traffic or not and it's and, kind of further west from Antigua or, or like in the opposite direction of Guatemala City? Yeah, it's more, it's, I, would, I would call it it's more north northwest. Northwest. And uh, yeah, I found a really nice piece of land and uh, I've been expanding that project. It's barely open to public. I mean, we have an Airbnb cabin now, but that's about it. But if you rent the Airbnb cabin, you get all 300 acres pretty much to yourselves. Nice. And I'm definitely going to have to do this one. Yeah, it's really nice. Uh, it's booked this weekend. It's booked next weekend. It's the th next three, four weekends, it's booked. And I bet mo I bet a lot of people don't even know about it, right? Like, how, like pe do people find out about it from the Kyoba Farms website? How do they find out? You can, it? but I mean, most of, most people be really has been word of mouth. It. Most yeah. is word of mouth. You know, it's just uh, we have one cabin. Well... The Agents of Innovation podcast, the word of mouth is getting out now. You're going you're gonna to be booked like crazy. Well, hopefully. I mean, you know what you do when you're booked like crazy? You just raise the price. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's called, it's called, a, yeah, it's called the, the free market. Um, well, uh, so, yeah, so what do you have up there? I mean, on the three, you have 300 acres? Yeah. Wow. So, so endless hikes. Just three acres here. Yeah. Wow. So endless hikes in nature. Uh, we have a big natural swimming pool. So it's about 180 feet long by 
Is it like a lake? What's that? Yeah, it's like an artificial lake that I built. Artificial. Yeah. So we have spring so it's not water. Natural. No. Well, the thing is, the, the thing is, we have lots of natural springs, and okay. I dammed a few of them and okay. turned this thing into a natural pond. You can call it. It looks. You can, you wouldn't be able to tell that someone built it. It looks really natural. Yeah. And then it overflows and it keeps going its its, its way. And it's just uh, a lot of nature has come since I've done it. New birds, new all sorts of new insects. Saw some like ferro- ferrets kind of type thing swimming the other day. All these crabs showing up. I haven't introduced any animal there. It's just all wow. has come naturally. And um, yeah, it's, it's it, a... Nature will come. Yeah, so yeah, there you go. And, and as long as you don't introduce weird things into it, I mean, you can, but what I like to do is I like to wait. I, I told myself I'd wait two, three years, see what comes by itself. And then if something doesn't come within the next two, three years, then I can introduce something. But um, Are, is there any, uh, do you have any like cattle or horses or anything? I have a few cattle there, you know, not much, but the, the little bit of cattle I got is to producing my own beef for my hamburgers and a few special cuts for the restaurant. I got lamb, and that's what the lamb we use for the restaurant. I got chickens. Oh, I've had the lamb burger. It is fantastic. So now I can actually see what I'm eating out there. Yeah, there you go. And then, so we got chicken for eggs mostly, not for the chicken. I have a friend who produces organic chickens, but I, I we do more for eggs. And I have ducks for doing duck meat. And uh, we grow a lot of avocados. We do peaches, cherimoyas, plums, apples. We do all sorts of other fruits. Uh, a lot of raspberries, like four or five different types of berries. Uh, we do sweet potato. Um, we do a lot of stuff out there with watercress. And, and therefore, there's some farming. But the farming is only maybe 10 acres, 15 acres out of the 300. The rest is all pretty much forest. And, like, how do you split your time? How do you manage your time between uh, the place here in Antigua, Cayoba Farms, and I don't know if you have a name for the place out there. Yeah, it's called Cayoba Farms Paramos, but the actual name, that's how you'd probably find it on, on Instagram and stuff. But the actual name of the farm is Los Tucanes, Finca Los Tucanes. And the reason is because there's these wild mountain toucans that live out there. Oh. Yeah. Is it When you say finca, uh, so it's like a... Ranch. Farm. Yeah. It's a ranch. It's uh, not necessarily so, a farm. So do you it's like spend, a ranch. Uh, Half my time there, half my time here. So okay. basically, the restaurant only opens Thursday to fr- Sunday. We finally started opening Wednesday to Sunday, but I'm uh, I'm here from Thursday first thing in the morning to Monday noon, and then from Monday noon I head out that way. I stay there till Thursday first thing in the morning. And the restaurant typically is open till what about four p.m. Four p.m. Yeah, yeah, so it's not like a dinner spot. It's more no. of a breakfast and lunch. Breakfast and lunch place. Yeah, yeah. but it's a uh, man great place. Uh, so you have two fully farm oper- to table. That's our our big concept. Farm yeah. to table. Uh, literally farm to table. I mean, there's a lot of farm to table concepts that aren't really farm to table. <laughs> this is you can actually walk around the farm and as you're waiting for your table, uh, which is actually a cool thing. Because sometimes I've come here and maybe there's a not long wait, 10, 15 minutes at the most, and uh, most times and oh well, I can just go take a look at the farm there's a nursery here right yeah there's a water uh, there's a butterfly sanctuary oh, I there's seen that. yeah there's uh, a butterfly sanctuary in the back where we house about 10 t- different types of butterflies we'll have to check that out yeah um so i think it's the biggest in the area i yeah. think it's the second biggest in all guatemala wow i've been to well i don't know if this is comparable because i have i have nothing i have no i have no knowledge on this subject but uh 
uh, in Lake Atilan, there's the Atilan Natural Reserve, and there's like a butterfly. Yeah, so that's supposed to be the biggest, yeah. and we're the, we're the ones that follow. But the people, supposedly, the story goes that the people who have the one in the lake learned from the father of the guy who has my butterfly sanctuary here. Oh, very cool, so. very cool. So um, you're also married. You met your wife. She's from Sweden, I understand. You yeah. met her here in Antigua? I did. Yeah. I'm a lucky man. And how many, uh, and you, do you, you have one daughter? One daughter and I'm about to have a second one in January. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Well, this podcast, uh, we're filming it a little early, uh, but it's probably going to air in January. Yeah. So uh, hopefully by that time. Uh, do you have a date? They say the 19th. Okay. Well, I was born on January 13th, so I'm going to hope for, this is your son? My daughter. Oh, this is going to be a daughter. So yeah. Two daughters. Two daughters. Okay, great. I guess. That's what supposedly the ultrasound said, but it was yeah, too yeah. early to really give me 100%. Yeah. So, so Alex, uh, you're not only a, a farmer uh, and a restaurant, I mean, you're an entrepreneur, uh, which encompasses all, all these uh, different aspects. Um, tell me a little bit um, about Guatemala and... Um, what what kind of advice can you offer to people? I mean, you did you did offer a little bit uh, before earlier in the podcast, but I just wanted to elaborate on that, uh, mentioning that, you know, you mentioned that it was uh, easy. It seemed easier for you to open a business here, um, less expensive. Yeah, it's maybe. got it, it's got its pros and cons. Yeah. I mean, but you what, know. what advice would you recommend to uh, would be entrepreneurs, especially in, in Guatemala? Entrepreneurs in Guatemala. My advice is. Uh, as hard as it is, claim everything, pay your taxes, you know, because uh, your business will be way more organized. Um, second of all is definitely do what you love to do. If not, it's just, it's going to kill you eventually. Uh, you got to do what you like to do. And then, uh, and if you're not liking it, start thinking what you can, how to, how to get out of it and switch to something else, little baby steps. And yeah. then, um, and then I think the, the, the other one would be to not wait for something to be perfect to do it. You know, like some people like likes to open up a restaurant and they'll make the restaurant look like it's been there for 10 years before they even open the doors. You know, I'm like, I believe in an organic growth and not just, you know, make it look perfect because it's never going to be perfect. You're going to make something that's perfect and then guess what? You're going to open the doors. It's You're still going to be fixing it and you just lost a lot of business or you it's going to take a lot more money to switch because you went all the way before you you learned so it's a lot of a, a feeling and observation uh, and things will come naturally and and you'll so never that, be stable because there's always things to be fixed so really kind of like don't make the perfect the enemy of the good in, in a sense yeah yeah like don't wait till something's perfect like your idea is perfect to open it up just get going you don't stop with nothing right but did start with the basics and then build off of that don't 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 wait to get someone to give you all the money that you need to get the perfect idea that you are searching for because uh, as you're in it and you're involved in it it will change so and uh what do you have any uh any books you like that you might recommend uh any favorite books any especially anything maybe for an entrepreneur uh profit first have you heard Robin that book? First. That book. I heard about it from you. Oh yeah, so <laughs> I like that book. That's like a, a, a good book about business. Uh, basically, you know, we get taught how your your you know you do sales minus expenses, and that's your you know income pretty much. You know your your profit, but it's not that way. You know how I I you can always have more expenses. 
you can always have even more expenses in your sales. So it's uh, the math behind this. The whole book really talks about how it's sales minus profit equals expenses. So first, basically, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a farmer and I'm like, well, how much money do I need to live off of? So I'm going to say, okay, well, my family needs, you know, so much for school and this and my food wise. And, and without, I mean, I got to do some, sacrifice, some sacrifices because I can't give myself something exaggerated. I'd love to have a $10,000 salary, but being legit to yourself, well, how much is what you need to be comfortable and get through? Okay, so you need 2000 bucks. You need 3000 bucks a month. Okay, so you write that down and, and you say, okay, well, I got to pay myself first $3,000 and then you know that if your sales are $10,000, then you know you're going to give yourself $3,000. That's what you want your business to be profitable. Then you got $7,000 as expenses and organize your business around that and get rid of whatever is going to be above that thing. Because if not, you can always use your $3,000. Oh, I'll, I'll spend my $3,000 on this and I'll spend my $3,000 on this. And you, you're always going to keep it. There's always places to spend your money. And therefore, if you're not happy, then the business is not happy. So... So this is a way to balance kind of personal budget and business budget? Would that be the way to... Yeah, because most entrepreneur it? people are running their business when they're getting started at least. You know, they're running their business and then the, your your income is whatever's left after the expenses. And, you know, you'll always tell yourself as like, there'll never be any money for you because, you know, you, you, you can always buy the new pump and the new refrigerator and you can always buy the new stove or you can always have a new phone and a new... You know, there's there's always somewhere where you can spend the money and for your business oh i'd like to have the new uh, the new outdoor garden so i can sell more tables or if you know i'd like to have uh the the delivery truck because now i can expand my business yeah you can but you know it's it's are you using your own personal money for that so it's very it's a it's a very uh fine line between you know giving yourself first the profit you need and then having the expenses don't make your profit your expenses so speaking of your family uh does your wife have any role with uh with helping you run these farms and restaurant yeah she's the whole uh social media she loves that stuff so she takes the pictures she does instagram facebook which today it's like a full-time job it's yeah. crazy it's 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 being on top of that with the, as big as we are and with everything that's happening here it's a full-time job and she runs a pretty much the store so she makes sure, you know, see who who gets to sell in the store and who's out and all kind of the things about the store. I'm more in charge of the restaurant and uh, all the actual agriculture part of the business. And she's actually in charge of the yoga and all those, uh, all the... Um, kind of social community activities. Yeah, the farmer's market, the yoga, the... the yeah, the, the dancing farmers market. And all that. That's uh, I, I I noticed. I think it's mostly on the weekends uh, where you. Have and I don't really like. I call it a farmers market. But it's yeah, not necessarily a, a farmers market. It's more like a, a an artisanal market. Yeah. It's like local artisans from. It's local artisans. Some are farmers. Some are f both farmer and something else. Some make bread. Some make crafts. Crafts. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some make rum. Some make cheeses. I mean, it's just. So when you're walking into Cuyoba Farms, kind of in that entrance area, particularly on the weekends, I think. Saturdays and Sundays, every yeah. Saturday and Sunday. There's so. always a lot of things. I mean, it's a great place if you're in Antigua and you're looking for gifts and you're just 
you know, other little things. It's a, it's a great, and to, and to support the local community. I, I met somebody here, uh, actually, when Bob and I were here walking out, uh, she, all the crafts or whatever, I forget what she was selling, maybe some little, maybe it was actually uh, some little food items. Um, but they were all going to like a like a charitable organization, mm-hmm. so it was kind of like a. So we always try to have we always yeah. try to have a charity organization on the weekend where you know um, we help the charity organization kind of not I'm not going to say all the f- funds go there, but let's say we usually charge people to participate in this yeah. farmers market for a table and for a space. Uh, we don't charge these people. We we tend to give a free spot to a charity organization every weekend, so that they can come offer their products and be around our. We market them, and they're around our 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 people that follow us, and so we give them exposure for free and try to help them out, uh, uh, get a little push in it, and and yeah. Yeah. So uh, Alex, what, last question or two here. Um, how many how many staff about do you have? What do they do, and how do you train them to do it? Uh, yeah, I got about, give or take, anywhere between 60 and 70 people, uh, depends, you know, if how hard the COVID is, yeah. you know, but, uh, yeah, we have between the farms and far, between the farms and between all the activities that we do, the restaurant, the store, the delivery, the CSA, everything, and all the, uh, all the farming going around, we got about, uh, about 60 full-time employees and then about 10 to 15, give or take, part-timers. Uh, plus volunteers and all sorts of stuff, um, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm. We do like a pyramid schedule. You no, know, I'm the boss, and then me and my my wife's the boss, and then <laughs> I'm the second boss. Smart answer. And uh, <laughs> and then we get uh, like the people who I deal with, which we have like um, a meeting every week, and they're like the people in charge of certain departments. You know, we have the head accountant, we have like the guy in charge of the store, we got like the guy in charge of the fields of the farming, we got like the guy in charge of the restaurant, we got like the charge and count of all the deliveries. And um, and basically we all sit in a, in, in a meeting and we go through everybody's kind of area and everybody always has like their wish list, you know, because everybody always wants stuff to make their business work better, but we can't just give everybody what they want. So right. usually there's a wish list, you know, and they got like their top five things they want. And we, you know, we start saving money in their areas for aiming for those things. And sometimes their wish list is not my wish list. So we, you know, we alternate and we come together to choose what the wish list is. But basically they give me updates, plus there's reports and there's, uh, you know, there's processes and we have job descriptions and, and all sorts of stuff. Because if there's rotation, well, you know, a new person comes in, well, and same within restaurant there's recipes and uh so if the bartender leaves the new one comes he just has to be able to follow the recipe you know so that's good uh and one thing i've noticed here you're uh you know you're the owner but you're i've seen you uh in fact uh the last time i was here i was i was trying to talk to you and you were busy running around the restaurant you were making sure tables were getting food you were i i saw you one point um working with one of your servers maybe or maybe it was with one of the cooks uh making sure something had the right ingredients maybe it was a drink or something um and so you're you're definitely like and you're i should i saw you showing and instructing um you know one of your employees you know how to oh this 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 presentation needs to be a little bit better on this plate you know whatever it was so uh it seems like you're very uh hands-on but also like uh you're very um 
you know, you're involved. I mean, you're not, you're not just like telling people what to do. You're like, you're like working hard here every day that you're here. I've noticed that. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Francisco. Yeah. I, first it's because I love it. I like doing it. And through my years of experience, at least, you know, it's, it's uh, telling people doesn't always get things done the right way. I think being, you know, uh, uh, putting yourself lower to their position and walking them through it and really you know i'll go and wash dishes you know i'm not you know, i'm not afraid of washing dishes i'll pick up tables i'm i'm usually the 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 bus boy i i, I prefer being the bus boy than the waiter because then i see what they didn't eat you know and then if i they didn't eat it i'd like to make sure that they were happy or were they not happy was there something we could have done better were they just full you know what what happened you know and so i i learn a lot more through being a bus boy than being a waiter I, sometimes I'm a waiter as well, but I'm just saying, I, I, in my experience, I learned more being a busboy than being the waiter. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and by being a, I, I teach my waiters how to clean plates before the dishwasher and how to place them and not throw them because in the restaurant, you know, you throw a lot of plates and before you know it, you're losing plates, they're breaking, they're chipping, they're all sorts of stuff. So if you do it right, there's no reason for them not to be able to do it yeah. right. Um, well, I noticed that the first day we met you, because, uh, like I said, you came up. I mean, we had actually already seen the waiter. He had taken our order, and actually, you changed my order uh, as soon as soon as I asked you something. Oh, you know, Francisco, you might like the uh, this instead. Oh, put that in instead. Yeah, I, mean, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. Maybe actually, it was some kind of lamb. It wasn't the lamb burger, but it was some kind of lamb. Um, we changed you the lamb chops. Lamb chops. Yes, that was fantastic. Because I actually, your burger here. Uh, and actually, that's the buffalo burger. Uh-huh. The buffalo burger is fantastic. I'm getting hungry now uh, talking about all this, but uh, it's fantastic. And, and I think I'd had that like twice or something before. And then I came here. It's going to order it again. Bob ordered it because of my uh, suggestion. And then you said, oh, you know, you might want to try these lamb chops. Uh, so, that, yeah, that was a great suggestion. But anyway, what was interesting, we had already seen the waiter. And you walked up and started talking to us, which like... Uh, I don't know, maybe I could have thought you were the host or the busboy or whatever it was, but then you asked a couple questions. I started thinking, this guy's a little, I think, I think this guy might be the owner, you know, <laughs> so, because you definitely, uh, first of all, it was great customer service to welcome us because you don't always go to a restaurant and meet the owner, especially to, this place was busy that day. It was a very busy place. Um, and uh, so that was great. But then also it sounds like, you know, you get a lot of feedback and it, it sounds like what you're doing, picking up plates and things like that, uh, being the busboy. You, you get to learn about um, the customer experience and that's only going to improve your business. And, yeah, and that's and we sell experiences. I mean, yeah. we don't sell food. You know, we really well, you are... sell some good foods. Yeah, we do, <laughs> but we do. And then part of it is because it's it's good chef and it's good uh, 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 recipes and stuff, but I think a lot of it has to do with the ingredients. But also... Um, we, what we like to shell is an experience. You know, you're here, you're sitting in a farm, uh, you're eating food, uh, you're getting a lot of it from, from the farm, uh, but, you know, there's the vendors there, you can kind of, after that, you like a sauce, you like this, the cheese, we have it at the store. Um, uh, there's uh, all these activities happen here which you can pr- participate in. Um, uh, there's it's a very family-oriented place from everything from kids who need diapers to grandparents and and it's a very you know you can be a grandparent and a, and a son drinking grandparents beer. That need diapers that yeah say? you know and then basically you're here drinking beer while your kids are playing uh, in, in the playground and and it you know we're very a very 
very and, social place. and a beautiful surrounding and again you can walk the farm and, and check it all out and uh anyway See animals and everything. it's a great experience here at Cayoba farms it's been one of my favorite places to eat in uh in guatemala period uh, especially when i'm in antigua I, I always i always make time to be here and i'm glad uh you were able to make time for the agents of innovation podcast so i really appreciate uh you being with us and sharing your experience here in antigua at Cayoba farms thanks francisco yeah um when you asked me for this, I was like, okay, well, we'll see when and this and that. Because a lot of people talk, but they don't walk. You know, a lot of people want to do stuff, but they're just either traveling too fast through Antigua or, you know. Uh, but uh, I'm glad we were able to really get some time down and do it. Because yeah. we, we mentioned this maybe three months ago, two months ago. I don't know. Longer than that, actually. The day that... Uh the day that Bob and I were here, what was funny is Bob's been on my podcast. Uh-huh. I've known Bob a long time. And uh, Bob Rubin. And uh, I started asking you questions. And we kept going. I mean, we just kept having this conversation for 10 or 15 minutes. And Bob kind of paused and said to you. He knew my dad, remember? Yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, he said to you, uh, before we even knew that he knew your dad, he said, Alex, y- you might want to step away. Francisco has a podcast. Uh, this is probably he's just going to keep asking you questions. And I said, Actually, I'd love to have you on my podcast. So the first time I met you, and then within minutes, Bob started asking a little bit about your what does your family do, and then when you your dad does something very interesting. Yeah, he he manufactures doors and windows. Yeah, which is very specific. And some little light bulb went off in Bob's head, and he said, "Your dad's name is Paul. Is that right, Paul?" Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he asked you what your last name was, and um, and you both yeah me and you I think both looked like where are you going with this, Bob? And Bob's like, yeah, your your dad was a client of mine for like 20 years because <laughs> your dad spent some time in Florida. No, I think right? he was a client of my dad's. Oh, so well, whatever. Yeah, yeah but whatever he, was. he was he was the client and my dad yeah. was selling him doors and windows. I think, is he in the business, in, in the construction business yeah, or something? Yeah, no, he's actually a financial manager. So okay. maybe, maybe it was both. Maybe, or maybe they were yeah, clients yeah, of each yeah. other. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, whatever it was. They, they knew, knew each other yeah, and yeah. it was very strange. And what a small world it can be in Guatemala and that was super small. And, uh, and then, by the way, like, I've met plenty of people in Antigua and other places in Guatemala that know you. Like when I mentioned Cayo Farms, oh yeah, I know Alex, right? Uh, I, I Later that day, we met Lynn and Uve, mm-hmm. who run Antigua Cigars. I know you're not a cigar smoker like me and uh, Bob are, but, uh, but they knew you, and I guess they knew your family, and... Uh, and so that was that was no, just you guys funny. asked me where where to go i think you guys asked me what cigar company you guys should should like where should we go buy cigars and i think i told you guys to go to the to yeah that, to that cigar shop yeah well actually we were already going to go there uh, but i think i did ask you that actually oh, what I, what I, we were having such a great conversation i was thinking maybe we could have this over cigars so i said do you smoke cigars and you said no but i got some friends that do and you should go to antigua cigars and i said actually we're planning to go yeah there. yeah something yeah, like that's that exactly yeah, what happened. Yeah. so that was funny but anyway and how long was, ago was that that was in um may so from the time yeah. we're talking that was about five months maybe yeah so five yeah. months ago yeah so yeah you know, and then five the, months later we're doing the podcast yeah here we ago. are so uh but thank you so much for uh for being on the agents of innovation podcast and i hope more people come visit Cayoba farms it's a it's a really beautiful place thanks francisco thanks for having me and uh yeah thanks all right